You're listening to the CBA Podcast, where we talk about basketball, club, youth, AAU, high school. CBA Podcast is brought to you by Chapman Basketball Academy. Today's podcast is kind of two podcasts in one. Uh, the first segment you're going to hear is uh, personal experiences of Joel, um, little childhood stuff, um, some mental health stuff, and a little bit about his faith and how it created uh, what he is doing now, uh, followed by another segment of what CBA is all about. So enjoy. All right, welcome everybody. Um, we wanted to reflect a little bit today on the response a huge, huge response, and we thank everybody uh, for listening to last week's podcast um, about mental health. And I want to publicly thank not only Joel but Tim for his courage because it is courageous of what he talked about and you know the struggles that you know youths, not only youths but everybody has. Yeah, and I think that's important. Like like we mentioned a little, you know, we all go through stuff. And it's important that a kid like that speaks up and speaks out, you know, of what they're going through, you know. And and I can't tell you the response that we got from that, you know, from from parents, from coaches, from players um, that, you know, one of their peers, re, you know, talked about the subject, um, you know, from a, you know, um, coach that's important that, you know, that's what we're teaching our youth is are you open enough to talk about you know, anything and, and feel like you can do that to us. You know, I think that's important that we got that out. And, and the response has been, you know, unbelievable from parents, um, like I said, to other players. Uh, I just think that was just a tipping point of the conversation. And I think that we have to do our job is to allow people to, you know, respond um, to a message like that, uh, that we sent out, but also be grateful about, you know, um, having someone like Tim come on and talk about that. You talked a little bit about your own, Joel, you know, how you work out and stuff and doing yoga and talk a little bit about what got you to figure stuff out, right? Yeah. Because um, you did a video um, series a, uh, a couple of years ago, right? Yeah. Kind of yep. talked about your, your childhood and stuff. Yeah. Um, and how does that how do those experiences, your childhood growing up the way you did, kind of yeah. reflect on yeah. what you do now? Because I have a big thing about um, I have, you can relate to anybody. You know, um, if you can meet them through the door of where they are and have um, and, and take down your shield as a coach or a player uh, and meet them where that kid is, um, you're going to get them to open up more you know, about whatever situation they're going through. Um, so for me, growing up the way I did, um, I can relate to different people. And, and I think that's it's so important um, to have that aspect of it. So, you know, growing up, it was, it was tough. You know, it was – but the thing about it is you don't know how tough it is because it's just every day to you. You don't see it. You know, you don't – it's not like you're – you know, in another place where now all of a sudden, like, oh, uh, 
that is tough. You know, when you're in there, it's great. It, you got great family, you got great friends, but you're inside of this bubble. You don't really understand what you're going through because you see it. You just you're in the moment. You know, most of us live through the moment. Um, so, you know, my first seven years growing up, I lived in seven different houses in the city of Chicago where I was born. Um, to me, I, I didn't know the difference. So, you know, every year we, we move around, but the places got better every place that we stopped at, you know. So, uh, you know, one of the places I lived was 73rd and Stewart in Chicago where it was a studio. You know, I was two or three at the time. Our bed, me and my brother shared a room. Uh, it wasn't a room. It was a studio. So our bed came out the, the wall, you know. So uh, and we my brother used to sleep with a with a uh, broom in his hand because we used to have mice. <laughs> and <clears throat> it was just so funny. We used a, it was a game like uh, who's going to stump that mice first? You know, we ain't going to sleep until, you know, it's gone. Um, little things like that, going through it with other people. I have an br- older brother who's 45, 46. We're five years apart. I have a younger sister who's three, we're three and a half years apart. So um, having those, you know, viable pieces in your life at an early age um, is, is key. My, my dad, um, he wasn't actively involved in my life, but he, he put the ball in my hand. He gave me that outlet. He gave me that resource to say, all right, this is something you can be. And growing up in the city of Chicago, he used to take us to parks, different parks and play different people. Um, and, and be around different environments. So that helped the competitive drive at a young age um, to put something there. Was he there every day through the process? No, he wasn't. Um, but he gave me something that um, I can't get back. You know, is he gave me something that I'm going to take and, and give to my kids, you know, the same way. Um, but the day-to-day grind, no, he wasn't there. You know, so I can relate to the kids if, if they don't have a father figure in their life. You know, I can relate to that. Uh, my, my parents, um, they both were on drugs. My mom got off to raise us, uh, but my dad stayed on, you know, forever. Um, you know, he got off when he got a little bit older in life. But, you know, during during the years that, you know, we say that you need to be around your kids, he was, um, you know, in the streets gang banging and selling drugs and doing drugs and stealing stuff from our house to uh, get, you know, get his high back. Uh, so, you know, we went through all of that as a as younger kids. So when people come through, you know, we have that relatability to them um, about if they come from a single parent household or, you know, one parent or living conditions isn't best or, um, you know, we, we call it Section A where Section 8 where uh, the government assisting with food, with, with um, housing. I had all of that until I was 17, you know, so. You know, I, I've been through all of that, you know, so I can relate to different kids as they walk through the door. So I think that's important. The um, same with Tim, you know, is you got to have relatability. And I think from all the people and all the kids that I coach and people who reach out to me who, who I have coached their kids previously, that's what they mention is, you know, you, you, you do a good job of relaying a message and getting to know our kids and getting the best out of them by getting to know them. And I think that's something that's important um, to know in our journey. You're going to find people you can relate to. Um, so you want to make sure that you um, hone that in, get to know them a little bit better, um, and help them through their journey. I saw um, 
with Tim, the relationship he had with you, I think basketball kind of saved him a little bit from what I from what I took it, you know, uh, being the outside looking in. Yeah. Uh, just having an outlet and you being there for him was huge. Yeah. And, and the way basketball saved him, it saved me. And that's why I can relate to him. You know, and, and to a lot of our kids that go through it, there's kids that's in this gym all day, you know, that's uh, either homeschooled or they don't got no place to go after school. So they come here just to shoot around. Um, and that's what you want. That's why you have a place where you can have kids come and do, you know, different things like that, because basketball is that outlet um, when things are not going right. You know, so, you know, that's how I can relate to a, a person like Tim and other kids that go through that because that was me 15 you know years prior you know having that outlet of basketball it was a graven it was a saving grace for for me to when things are not going right at home you can go to the court you know you can go play you can you can imagine being Jordan or Pippen or somebody and, and work on different moves and, and do different things having that outlet saves a lot of people um, you know when go to school at 7 a.m. You know, I used to come home about 6 or 7 p.m., um, you know, after practice. So you didn't have time to do anything else. So that discipline, that structure, and that drive to be something in a sport, that saves a lot of youth players um, from getting into the wrong things. And that happens everywhere. It's not just about um, the community that you live in, whether it's you're living in poverty um, like I was or you live in, in great communities, Um it doesn't matter because you're all going through something and it, there's easy routes to take when you're 14, 15, 16, 17, when society is telling you to pick one way or the other, um, you're, it's going to be kids that do the wrong things. They're going to want you to join. They're going to judge you on not doing what they're doing. They're going to make fun of you, whether it's your clothes, whether it's how you talk, whether it's how you look, um, people are going to get meaner as they get older. So, you know, it's up to you to find that path that is successful for you, um, whether it's sports, whether it's a different outlet, whether it's a teacher that you can lean on, whoever. Um, you got to have that outlet. Mine just happened to be basketball, and that has helped me um, help other people. And like I always said to you, I, I think that's why we're here is to help other people. What was uh, What was the defining moment with you? I mean, talking with you right now, we could be – not here right now talking there could be no cba because you could have went a different path it yeah was, it was there yeah it was what there was the, what was the defining moment that yeah it, it was a couple um i had some really bad moments you know my dad kind of left the house around sixth grade um uh, completely he was always in and out depending on the, the time of year um or the, or the time of month um he was always in and out of our house Around that sixth grade year, um, you know, my mom had enough. That was, you know, was like the tipping point. So, you know, around that year, and my mom, she worked late shifts. So, um, you know, at that time, sixth grade through eighth grade was middle school, uh, and I was just doing the wrong stuff. I was, you know, hanging out with the wrong crowd. But I didn't know that because they were my friends. You know, you don't you, you can't decipher if that's a bad crowd or not um, because you're doing what they're doing. You're you know, stealing bikes, you're, you know, trying to sell drugs, you're wearing different colors, trying to gangbang. You know, you don't know just because you're just around the people that you're around. You don't know 
the everyday consequences that can go into what your environment can do. Um, so that was a defining moment going into high school um, where now, you know, you're, you're the biggest person on campus or whatever from sixth to eighth grade. Now you get dropped into, you know, you're the small fish in a big pond, you know, ninth to 12th grade. And that was a defining moment for me is having the right coaches around, uh, the right people to help me evolve in the game of basketball. Ninth grade was the first time um, I played organized sports as far as we never had um, we never had school teams growing up. So I just played outside, played in the streets, played at the courts, played, you know, um, different places that I can play. But it was never organized. It was just basketball. You're just playing. Was there a was there a boys and girls club back then? Yeah, it was a boys and girls club. So that's why I played like recreational. So we didn't have school ball. Um, so ninth grade was the first time I played like school basketball because that was the first time it was offered. Um, and now growing up, that sounds weird. You know, ninth grade was the first time I actually had a coach, you know, and had teammates, you know, that was consistent. You know, I had recreation. Um, you know, I had, you know, a coach tried to put an AAU team together in sixth grade, just random people in the community. But, you know, that didn't pan out really. So, you know, ninth grade was the first time. And, and going through that period, um, you had to choose a path. Like I tell all the kids, you know, that, that eighth, eighth grade, ninth grade, tenth grade, you got to choose your, your path. And when I grew up, uh, the people respected the gang bangers, the people on the street. They respected you if you were a good basketball player. They left you alone. So they kind of saw my path of being a pretty good basketball player. And most of those guys that I was friends with, um, they, they didn't continue to go to school. And, and the people that were different size of the track who were maybe in a different gang or whatever, different neighborhood, they kind of left me alone because they saw my path that I was going down. And they kind of embraced me for that. And that became my stepping stone of what I wanted to become. So ninth grade was that time period where everything changed for me as far as uh, what the game of basketball was going to do for me. Um, you've been open about your injuries. Um, I think you were overseas yeah. for your Achilles. Yeah. How was that time, and how did you cope with that mentally? Yeah, I, I had two really bad injuries. Um, one was in eighth grade, uh, playing flag football outside recess um, in October. And, you know, I caught the pass, came down. It was a pothole um, in the middle of our field um, at our school. I came down wrong. Um, and I didn't feel my leg, and I knew something was wrong. And this is eighth grade, so I'm 14 at the time. My knee was on the left side. My kneecap was on the left side of my body. So when I looked down, I instantly kind of freaked out. Like, why? But I didn't feel anything. But my kneecap was <laughs> to the left side of my body. So that was the first time that I knew, you know, that that – uh, I wasn't going to play football anymore. That's number one. That I'm done with this sport. <laughs> but, but I knew then my dad wasn't around. My mom took me to the hospital. Um, it was about a five-minute drive. It was pretty close by. And the doctor was just, you know, he was very adamant about me not being the same player anymore. He, he just kept saying it. Like, I don't know how you're going to respond or bounce back from this type of injury because they had to – do some um, grafting from you know part of my thigh to my to my knee um, and I had six screw I got six screws in my knee they had to do 
eight hours worth of surgery, you know, and they didn't know if I was going to bounce back from that type of injury. They said it can take, you know, because you're young, your growth plates are still growing. It can take you from three months to a year to recover, you know, from this. It just depends on how hard, you know, you work at it. But we don't know if you'll be the same player or if you can play at that same level, you know, that you want to play at. So as a 14-year-old who doesn't have the right father figures around or anything like that, that that kind of stings you a little bit. You know, I tell the story of how my mom kind of changed my posters in the room and kind of gave me that internal that internal uh, the hated Larry Bird. Yeah, the Larry Bird. (laughs) He was a rivalry for us. Pistons. Celtics used to kick our butts in a you know early early nineties late eighties. So you know to have a Larry Bird poster, kind of diving into his videos. Uh, went to Blockbuster, and she just bought like a lot of Larry Bird and Boston Celtics tapes. And you just like, oh man, <laughs> how I'm gonna get through these dark days? But if you believe in God, you you have to believe in a devil because he attacks you all the time when he thinks he can get you. And those are the time periods I thought that um, he was attacking me because I didn't have it, – it was no one around. My, my brother and sister are at school and doing different things. My mom had to work, you know, so I'm at home, like, as an eighth grader with no one there, you know. So it's like, what are you going to be doing all day? You know, you have people, teachers coming in to do some of your assignments and they drop off homework for you. But you're just sitting there like, all right, you know, how am I going to get through this time period? And that's when – you know, the first I felt like my mind shifted on, I'm going to be better than this. You know, why is no one coming over? Why is no one checking on me? You know, that, so that was a time period where um, I felt like I had grown a lot as a person because it was easy to go the other way. It was easy to be like everybody else that I knew. Um, but that was a time period where I got better and I dove into basketball more. I got hurt in October. Um, I was back playing by March, and we had a parent. We had a we had a um, basketball game against because we didn't have um, we didn't have a team, so we had a basketball game at the end of the year, uh, teachers versus students, and all the students are in the crowd. They picked the best ten players. I'm just coming back. They picked me. I was happy, and I just went off. You know, I scored like thirty, forty, fifty points. I don't know. I don't remember. But it was just fun. It was four quarters. Everyone played. The teachers was, you know, they don't want to lose to the students, and we don't want to lose to the teachers. So it was fun moment. Outside of that, you know, when the game was over, you know, people before I got on the bus was asking for autographs and, like, man, you did a good job out there. And the light bulb clicked, like, you know, all that, that bad moment I just went through, here's this moment now that it's like instant gratification of – of playing. Um, I wasn't dunking like I was. I was just, just more skilled. I was just doing other stuff out there. And instantly, kids gravitated like, man, I need your autograph. What you doing next? Can't wait to see you in high school. Then a light bulb clicked, you know, that way. First thing I told my varsity coach, ninth grade, um, yeah, I'm going to be the best player you ever had. And he just looked at me like, I don't even know who you are. <laughs> but, you know, that, that was just something that that drive started from that injury, you know. And then the second injury I had was uh, I was playing overseas. It was my third, fourth year overseas. Um, and I tore my Achilles, you know. I tore my Achilles. It usually takes about a year to return. It took me seven months 
to return. Um, and you're all alone over there. Yeah, by and yourself. I, yeah I was by myself. Um, I, they were afraid for me to go home because of blood clots um, and, you know, flying back. It, it can do more damage. So they recommended that the I pressure, stay there. Yeah, yeah the with the pressure. pressure. So they were like, well, we recommend you stay here, but we can't make you stay here. You know, so, you know, I said, well, I, I see what I want to do. You know, I stayed for a couple of weeks um, and the support that I got from um, the families in Newcastle um, was just unbelievable, you know. So it was just important that I I stayed there. They they brought me food, they watched my clothes. They were yeah. I had great teammates to come watch games with me. But again, like I said, if you believe in God, you believe in a devil. I mean, because they it just attacks you. Your whole mindset changes. Where I slept all day and I was up all night. You know, getting on American time. You know, and didn't want to be bothered during the day. You know, I did rehab, and then I did nothing the rest of the day. I didn't want to be any, around anyone um, because at that point, you think that's what defines you as being a basketball player. You think that's who you are, and once you lose that, you don't know who you are as a person. So that kind of helped me shift. You know, um, of what's next, what I'm going to be doing next after basketball's over, because at that moment. Basketball was everything that def- that was found that I thought was who I was as a person. So that was a year after my mom passed. Um, so you know you didn't have people checking in on you. So now you have no mom, no dad. Um, my whole tree, um, you know, we look at our family tree. My I don't have a family tree. You know, my mom is gone. Her her mom and dad passed away. You know, uh, my dad is gone. Her, his mom and dad has passed away. And so that whole family tree of older individuals were already, you know, kind of gone. Um, and so, so during that time period, it was it was difficult, you know, to lean on anybody, you know, from that time period. So you had to get better yourself, you know, what you wanted to do and what you wanted to get better at. And I, I always remember my mom just keep getting better at your skill work, keep getting you know that 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 was getting you know in my head a lot it's like all right how are you going to keep evolving as a player um so you know when I came back um, that following year took seven months my team won all ch- four championships that was involved in that in that league I won the league MVP I played every game um you know I got hurt in late February and I was on the court in September um and I had uh, one grandmother alive still at that moment, my mom's grandmother. And, you know, I used to write her a lot and send her posters. <laughs> you know, I was like, you know, I'm, I'm going to get this done. Um, but, you know, at that time period, that's when mental health, again, I feel like we all go through stuff that we can relate to the kids that I didn't know if I wanted to play. I didn't know what I wanted to do. So um, mental health, uh, before I knew what that was, you know, that was a big component of it at that moment. I think as a society, there's just not a lot of compassion. Uh, mental health is so big around the, you're seeing it everywhere in this country right now. There's no compassion. Uh, we spend more money on other stuff yeah. that we should be investing in the mental health. Um, talked about, you know, Tim talked about finding the right, right therapist. Uh, you know, there's not enough outlets like that. Um, this can be an outlet. Basketball, the sport can be an outlet. Um, talk a little bit about how you want to be there for, 
for these kids. Yeah, and I think that's important. When, when everyone walks through that door, you know, as you continue to get to know them, um, you want to be that outlet for them. You know, not just through basketball. Like I said, I, I had teammates. I had people that are, was around me that helped me through those moments. So I want to make sure I have that time to help every individual that comes through that door that wants to talk about, you know, anything. Uh, I want to make sure that I'm that outlet for them just to talk. And once they feel comfortable, you know, we help our kids at CBA. We have uh, mental skills and mindset training. Um, we we invite we we have sports psychologists comes in over Zoom and talk to our kids and um, we set up one on ones with our kids with what they need you know if they really liked um, her name is Brittany Herrick who works with us she's Cedarburg girl she played for Cedarburg um, she comes in and works with our kids and do one on ones with them and I think that's important to have an outlet at finding somebody you can talk to about what you're going through. And more and more kids started doing that when COVID hit, you know, um, of using that outlet. And we've been doing it ever since for our kids is having, you know, mental skills and mindset training um, with them so they can just have an outlet for whatever they're going through or just write down goals, you know, being goal oriented, you know, just doing different things that help help them grow mentally as not just about basketball, but mentally also. You, you you talked um you said you believe in God or you believe in the devil how how much you know I don't know this part about you Joel but yeah. how much faith are you a faithful person into God and how much is that involved yeah and I am I um we are as a family uh, obviously we can't go to church as much as we want because you and you sports you have a lot of Sundays and Saturdays you're packed in a gym um but you know we had dark times and you know what you go through and if you don't believe in something um you know it can really sit on you for a long time and some people you know it, you turn your back on certain things as you know when it happens to you you be like well why why did this happen you know my mom passed i was like first thing i was like you know in my mind i was in mexico the first thing i said was you took the wrong one you know that was me being selfish you know don't want any you know one of them to be gone but you know, as a 20, uh, I was 22 at the time, you know, it's like, wow, you, you picked the wrong one. So you have those battles of faith. It's like, why would you do that? You know, and, and for all of us, when you don't have closure, um, or on something, uh, it makes it hard to sit with, you know, that's why my mental health sometimes suffers because my mom passed suddenly, my dad passed suddenly, um, you know, I retired because I had something else. It wasn't like a farewell, like, I got one more year, let me get it all out of my system. It was more so I had something um, that I was um, good at with my craft, and then I just decided to stop. It wasn't like I couldn't do it anymore um, type of feel. So when people go through things, you know, it makes you question your faith a little bit. Um, but, you know, I always say, and we always say that, you know, God never gives you nothing you can't handle, you know, and he puts his, his biggest burdens on the people with the biggest strength. And, and when you go down that path, it makes you, you feel grateful for it because, um, one, if my mom didn't pass, I don't believe I'd be the person I am today. And I think it, it just all aligns, you know, with each other. Um, do I wish that they were here? Absolutely. Do you struggle with that? Absolutely. But, 
I feel like if my dad didn't put the ball in my hand and, and gave me this path of being competitive in basketball, um, I wouldn't be here who I am. And if my mom didn't nurture it, um, appreciate it, and, and be a mom, I wouldn't be here either. So, you know, you got to appreciate those moments that you have, your parents. That's why I look at people who don't talk to their parents for whatever reasons, and you're like, you know, you haven't been through anything yet. You know, those little things can become big things. You know, I, I played with that chip like, oh, my dad abandoned me. You know, he didn't he didn't stay on a journey with me. So that was my chip on the shoulder. That wasn't hurting anybody but me. <laughs> you know, when you carry something like that around, it's only hurting you, you know, more than anybody else. So, you know, that that's the part that I want to help, you know, the kids with. You know, me and my dad was on great speaking terms. You know, I just... Um, had the twin boys in Japan. He was going to see the kids. You know, I was ready to, you know, heal that, you know, wound, you know, and it takes time. Everyone, you know, get through it differently. You know, it was our time. And then, you know, he suddenly passed away. So it was, you know, it was sad, but it's also to a point where you have to live with those, you know, consequences, you know, as, as parents, as people, we all go through stuff. And I, ironically, you know, one of our twins is named Stefan, who we named after my mom, Stephanie. Um, and he's a split image of her and that side of the family. And then the other son is named Joseph, who is uh, my dad's name was Joseph. And he's he looks and, and acts more side of that family. So it's it's so, you know, fun to see these kids that I have um, with the parents that I lost. That I see them every day you know, with the twins that I have. So it's pretty cool. The moment that we named them inside of the womb, we didn't know who's going to be who. And then, you know, they came out this way. And, you know, that's how you got to have faith, you know, because God doesn't make mistakes, even though, you know, you feel like that at sometimes. But that faith helps you get through it. Not to get too religious and stuff, but, like, I kind of, not similar to you, but I grew up um, – without a father uh i would think i was three years old and my dad died and then grew up a single mom mm-hmm. my whole life uh, i was lucky enough though on sundays every sunday my aunt would pick me and my brother and sister up and take us to church yeah <laughs> and that was like my mom's time alone or whatever yeah, and then yeah. afterwards as a family we just go drive around and then then go out to eat and stuff mm-hmm. and then you know now with my own kids i sent them to St. Paul's and Grafton, mm-hmm. you know, Christian education from kindergarten all the way up to seventh, eighth grade, and mm-hmm. now they're in public schools. Yep. And just set that foundation um, of family and God, and now those values I see, mm-hmm. you know, not in public schools, they're not getting that, but that foundation is there and making them who they are right. now. Right. And I think that's important is to lay the foundation um, at an early age um, in everything that foundation that you learn from your parents or relatives is the foundation that's going to continue to help you uh, down your journey. That's the first village you're a part of. Um, and that village um, needs to help you grow, you know, uh, and learn from. And, and that's why it's important to have, you know, that, that village around because that going back to relatability, I just think that's important for these kids as they walk through um, is they feel that you can relate to them and um, whatever circumstances like we're talking about, um, they can feel like, wow, okay, this guy has been through something too. So I can feel comfortable, 
you know, talking to them around him. Um, and that's important for a coach, for a trainer, for a director to have vulnerable moments um, where people can see you without the mask up, you know, and say, all right, this is who I am, you know, and this is what I want to teach your kid. And, and, and all your different experiences, because you deal with a lot of different cultures within your program, mm-hmm. uh, different equity, right? Yes. And your compassion be able to communicate and interact with all. It's, a, it's amazing to me because I think the problem with compassion that the country doesn't have is, so I know you and I probably differ on politically probably mm-hmm. 80, 90%. Right. But I respect you more than just about anybody I know because you treat my kids and my my daughter mm-hmm. babysits your kids, yep. you know, like family. And it's just amazing that people would have compassion and be able to respect each other for the person they are. It's it's just yeah, that, and that that's the difference that our country don't have. We're so defi- de- divisive with our language, with our politics, with our religion, with our race uh, that we forget the number one thing is is if I'm looking at you as a person, you know, the values that you bring, um, and I think that's the number one thing that um, I try to do. That sports has helped me wake with is is looking you know at the person uh, for who they are and not what they are and, and where they come from or what the kind of money they have. Um, because once we do that, we lose sight um, of what's the most important thing is, is being decent human beings and being, you know, the best that we can be. And that's what happened with sports for me. You know, I wasn't around, you know, a lot of white kids growing up. Um, I didn't have a lot of white teammates, you know, growing up. Um, but sports helped me look at, you know, all different types of creeds differently, you know, and that's, that's what sports does. And once you have that, you never lose it, you know, going to bloom and then going to Marquette is two different spectrums, you know? So, you know, it's 70, 80% black to, you know, 80, 90% white, you know? So how do you deal with that? How do you overcome that? How do you deal with that adversity? Um, but that's that's big stepping stones. I think that sports, you know, helps all of us with. So if your kid is, you know, going through anything or or into sports, I think that's important. You know, to have an outlet, whatever that outlet is, um, start them at a young age, or giving them that village that you know they can feel comfortable talking about different things to you, um, and, and see them at their lowest points and encourage them at their highest points. But you you got to be that village to help them through. I don't, I don't think there's enough good, good role models that these kids look up to for basketball instance, they look up to the NBA, right? Who do I want to be like in the NBA? There's not enough putting, let's use Giannis as an example, one Mm -hmm. of the best players in the NBA, what he went through to get to the NBA. You don't hear that story enough. Right. All you hear about is John Morant. Right. Right. You know, in a nightclub, Right. You know, right. you know what I mean? Yep, yep. Or Draymond Green, you know, the guy right. just punched two people, you know, <laughs> right. and then they have him commentating on the All-Star game. <laughs> right, right. You know, there's not yep. enough, you know, you growing up, you had Michael Jordan, yep. right? One of the hardest yep. workers in the NBA. There's not enough good role models, I don't think, in professional sports that they are promoting for the younger generation. That's just my yeah. opinion. Yeah, I, and I think you're right on that. But I also think the society is driven by... A negative media, negative coverage, um, 
you know, and I think all of these athletes who made it to the point that they are now have stories. Um, it's just up to the media and up to people to dive in a positive side of all of those stories that they go through. You know, the Giannis's of the world, we mentioned Draymond, John Morant. They all been through something that got them to the point where they are now. Um, some negative, some positive, but it's, it's what we focus on as a society um, that we have to be better at. Um, I think there's, you know, very good role models that don't get, you know, talked about a lot. Um, but there's certain people like Charles Barkley in the 90s said, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a role model, right? <laughs> you know, even though he is. And even though he's done great things, you know, for great people, you know, and he's one of the best sports commentators now. Um, but the TNT crew is one of my favorite. Oh, it's one of the favorites. Yeah, they interact with each other. This is unbelievable. You'd be up at 1, 1 a.m., 2 a.m., and you're just laughing. You know, Carolyn might be asleep next to me, and I'm just, like, dying laughing because those guys – they make you feel like you're there with them, you know, and, you know, back to the role model thing. Uh, that was, you know, um, Charles Barkley's thing. He was parents are role models. Teachers are role models. You know, sports, you know, we, we're going to make mistakes, but, you know, people are going to hone in on what we do wrong more so than we do right. So don't label me as a role model because I might throw a person through the window in Milwaukee you know, in a, in a nightclub if he gets too close to me and that crazy uh, that doesn't mean I'm a bad guy it's just you know things happen <laughs> um, but you know that's why I think some of those guys try not to you know jump out in front of a lot of stuff because they get judged too much on you know certain things they might not be viewed the right way in society <laughs> um, as the future for CBA um you know, mental health, the way you interact with Tim and stuff. Uh, Tim will be gone yeah. next, next next year and stuff. How how? What are some of the relationships you're building with your current teams and current players? And yeah, and and that's the hard part for me. And and people don't know that um, I'm not very emotional, but I get emo like my emotions show. You know, and is and it only shows certain points. You know, I'm always thinking about. You know, the kids that you have at certain certain ages now they're gone. You know, it's like okay, you know that's that's the hard part for me because I'm a relationship builder, and then that relationship is gone. It always comes back, but you always think like you know they're leaving. It's like dang it, you know. So I I I remember coaching my U17 boys the last tournament at Homestead High School. It was the last game, and I. Is I just start crying and it was just like so emotional and I, and we playing Mac Irvin you know team that when they were first started when they were sixth grade beat us by forty fifty points and I'm telling those guys like this basketball means so much more to them than it does to you and you just don't realize it yet about time we played this team again uh, that ball has to mean the same thing to you that it means to them um, so you know full circle playing that team the last time this is our last game. This is the last time I'm with that the, the guys, and you know I had to take ten minutes, find a spot in Homestead, and just like you know shed tears, like this is it, you know. And that's a hard moment when you did all you can for a group, and this is the last moment for them. And that moment keeps happening now because I keep going through the cycle of third, fourth, fifth grade. Now they're growing and growing and growing. It's like you know it's a cycle of building relationships, um, putting your guard down, being emotional. It happened the same with the girls this year. A coach 
the group of girls with Caitlin Odom and Lucy Leininger and, and Sarah A. from Grafton, um, alongside with some of the juniors that are juniors now. It was our last tournament. You know, it was, it was the same thing. I'm just thanking them for their six, seven years in the program, and some of the girls were crying. And, um, you know, some of the girls that's returning, I'm thanking them for staying on a journey. And, you know, it's easy to jump off and jump back on, but, you know, a lot of them stayed. And, no, you feel appreciative of the journey that you're down with the parents and the players. Um, so that makes for emotional time periods. Um, and that's why I think um, we have grown to the point we are now because we can relate, uh, you know, to them, appreciate the the journey that we're all on and, and give them their flowers, you know, um, as they're still on that journey. I think what makes you special, Joe, um, I know – off the top of my head, I won't name them, but three or four probably really, really, really good players that weren't in your program, but they trained with you, okay? Mm-hmm. And these players, when they went to college, they took their picture with you, not with their AAU programs. More importantly, though, right now, if they have a problem, they have your cell phone. Yep. And they, they probably do call you, or yep. they yep. can call you. And I you know, I know some of those players, and I know some of the programs. I don't see them calling their AU programs. I see them calling you. Yes, yes, and that's, and that's how I knew I had something special um, when when we built those relationships with the Chloe Maradas of the world and Hannah Bellinger. Uh, you know, and it, it was just emotional speaking about those because those girls um, and guys, you know, they they brought into what we were trying to do. You know. And it wasn't so much about who they played for. It was more so about them as people. And that's the same now where people go play for different programs. And like I said in in previous um, podcasts, that people judge people on who they play for and, and stuff like that. That's how I know they don't, they're not really invested to the kid, you know, because that's what matters is their growth and development. Um, and that's what's important to me. And so, you know, kids, now they're adults, they, they still call and text and babysit and come over and we chop it up and talk about life. And, you know, I send them texts here and there. They they do the same when they're going through stuff. And I think that's always what you want from as a coach is to to leave them and, and they come back and they, they're better people. Well, I know going as my son gets older and stuff, whatever the future holds for him, I'm extremely appreciative of you know, him being part of this program and, you know, the tools that you give him and not only on the basketball court, but off the basketball court. I mean, yeah. you take him to games, yep. you take him to get his hair cut once in yeah. a while on a Saturday, <laughs> yep. you know, yep. Yep. And, and those relationships are more meaningful than the game of basketball. Yes. And I, I, I thank you for that. And um, just seeing what you did last week, you know, with Tim as an outlet, um, Every player that is in the CBA program has that same relationship with you yep. that Tim Tim does and stuff, you know. And, and that's important. And 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 hearing that, you know, means a lot to us um, because it, there's a lot of Tim Franks. It's just he was grateful enough to share his story. That we have a lot of those stories inside of the program, and that's important for for us to have that outlet for each kid that walks through the door um, and I can go down the line of each kid that's on each team. We've had meetings about 
different things, um, you know, and that's that's the best part of having a program is to see the people who enter it are better when they exit, you know, and that's all you can ask for. All right. Well, hey, thanks for getting a little personal here and stuff. Yep. And uh, it's always a, always a pleasure getting to know you a little more personally, you know, yep. being involved and stuff. So thanks a lot, Joe. It's awesome. Thank you. Thanks for, for doing this podcast. Yeah. Um, so as we go forward here, let's get some uh, games of the weekend real quick. Yeah. So one of the games of the week, Grafton at Cedarburg. Um, I think that's going to be a huge game. Yeah, um, yeah they're Friday, Friday at home. It's a doubleheader. Yeah, Friday at home, doubleheader. Uh, we have so many kids uh, <laughs> in those two programs. I mean, we probably, if, if you're counting guys and girls from both teams, it's probably over 20, 25 kids. That's between the varsity and JV alone, um, 20, 25 kids. So it's just amazing to see um, how we started um, and then how we expanded. So places like Grafton and Cedarburg, it's just amazing to see so many families and so many kids. I would think uh, a game of the week, is it tonight? Uh, Homestead boys, Grafton boys, you got yeah. Michael and Tim going head-to-head. Yeah, it's Homestead and Grafton. They posed to play yesterday. Um, and you got the guys and the girls. I mean, that's the same uh, for both of those programs. It's, you, you look at those games with pride and with, with, it, with knowing that you help so many of them. Um, going down the path that they're going um it's all you can do is is be grateful that they chose you at the right time and and you chose them you know at the same point so um the guys uh homestead is at grafton at 7 p.m and then the girls is at homestead uh, at 7 p.m tonight um for one player profile i wanted to do i saw a tweet um, about Lucy, yeah. Uh, when she started out, I think the tweet said she could only go one way with her yeah. head down. Yeah, and she's having an amazing, amazing season. Yeah, we're gonna get her on soon. Um, Lucy was one of the uh, first Lucy players. Leininger. Lucy Leininger from Germantown, um, and I can go on and on about her. She's one of our babysitters. Number one, we trust her with our kids, and that's the relationship we have with with a lot of our kids. Is um, we trust them to the point where they're family members, you know, to us. And I think that's an important thing. And she's one of our family members, just like the rest of those girls are who started the program um, with us. Um, I met Lucy sixth grade, you know, quick story. Um, I was coaching the Homestead girls. We were at Sheboygan North, uh, my sixth grade team. And this girl just kept picking us at half court, you know, uh, steals after steals. And she was one of the tallest girls on the team. She was so fast laterally. And her arms were so long, she looked like a unicorn out there. And I just, so I just called her a unicorn from there. She's just different. You know, she's 5'11 with a 6'4, six, 6'5 six, wingspan for a girl. That's just incredible. Um, and she only went right. She kept her head down. She went right. You know, she didn't see her teammates. She's just plowing through everybody. That was her skill set at a young age. And, you know, people frowned upon that. Different programs didn't like her because of that, you know. So, you know, a player like that who came to us, you know, after her seventh grade year, she played seventh, eighth, took a year off, gap year for soccer, be a multi-sport, then came back ninth, tenth, and eleventh. Um, you know, it, it's just we're super proud of her development, um, even from last year when they lost in the state finals. 
you know, she missed a lot of free throws. She could make layups with her left hand. You know, she got kind of benched at the end. Um, she took she took a uh, great spring summer, and she put a chip on her shoulder. She made 500 threes a week. Uh, her and Danica Goss was in here every week shooting their 500, making their 500. Um, so, you know, and, and most people put them like they wasn't going to win this year. They they lost, you know, K.K. Honor, Arnold, who's probably one of the best players ever to come through the state. And a lot of people didn't think they were going to do well. So to see a kid like that score 36 points, you know, last week um, and having an awesome senior year, um, it just shows you that hard work pays off. Uh, so we definitely want to put a little light on her and her Germantown teammates. Um, they're doing a great job this year. Um, Silas and some of those critics who kind of buried them um, from where they're going to be. So they're doing a great job there. Cool. All right. Uh, yeah, so that'll – I hope I hope everybody really listens to, to what Joe, Joe says because the personal aspect is huge. And like I said, I, I appreciate everything you've done. And I know a lot of parents that are going to listen to this, I've seen it, feel the same way. So uh, thanks a lot, everybody. Uh, make sure you – Uh, like and share it and we'll see you next time thanks